All rights regained before this podcast production. Any rights that do not match articles mentioned, word for word, are restructured and redesigned in order to avoid any form plagiarism or copyright legality. The following is a monologue that is completely fictional, for the most part. Every day that we continue to live life on this earth, there of course will be times when the ethical conclusions, philosophy, religious clarity, and structure of our society will be openly tested by a much worse action imposed by another authority that might attempt to restructure our God-given minds of free will thinking and thus cause us to fall into the endless abyss that is both horrendous, ridiculous, and simply endless and horrendous. This past two weeks, in fact, have shown that this is one of those times where it is just simply endless and simply horrendous. As I now have an exclusive phone call conversation, don't ask where I got it, between John Gallagher, known as the local Democrats, as a court judge presiding over the court of Pennsylvania, and now known to, to all conservatives, Catholics, and Protestants, most likely, as Arslayer, or one of the many ancient demons from the Book of Enoch, after he was kicked out of heaven for coming up with ideas like the following, in rebellion against God by ensuring that all evil be abided by, even when, of course, the law of humanity seems to say that evil isn't evil anymore, as long as the world is fine with it. And, of course, when you yourself are also a fallen angel that was kicked out of heaven for something like the following ideas. In the ancient lore, it is said that John, in fact, transforms into his true form, which, in fact, looks somewhat similar to a parademon from the famed Justice League Apocalypse War cartoon, which also is not necessarily intended for children. Just after midnight, before flying on top of the nearest castle and belting a deep dragon-like roar that makes people remember the book of Revelation chapter 12, before people decide to just make everything partial or completely dark into a board game locally sold at Target or Walmart, or at least that's what the Knights of the Round Table thought might happen in the near distant future at the time of the Middle Ages, while they were also busy fighting off apparently said vampires that actually showed up in the form of Janet Paltrowitz, in which her last name can easily be confused with the word possibly used to conjure vampires at a, moment's no at a moment's notice, which of course the Knights of the Round Table may or may not have already been fully aware of. What follows is an exclusive take from one of the phone calls between the devil himself and the court judge John Gallagher, who may have possibly been using one of those phones that most people don't want tracked in the Born action movie series, randomly bought using the convenience of a local merchandise stand from the movie set. Ring ring. Hello, this is the court office of John Gallagher, and totally not a castle in the Middle Ages, of whom this is my one and only name, not any other name that can certainly be traced to a demon from an early church documented historical literature. De Devil. Hello, John. Just wanted to let you know that the plans I had for the youth all over the local high school. I thought it would be the best idea that I finalize the decision to start Satan Club with your approval as long as it doesn't interfere with everything else you wanted to accomplish. Yes, I was fully briefed on that plan through your team secretary legion. They also said it would be a good plan of course and would work extremely well perhaps if we put it right in the middle between chemistry class because most people never pay attention to that class anyways and gym class because it's rather hellish for some reason no matter what high school you attended. 
mixed in with the showing of Little Demon in between lunchtime, which also goes very, very well with the new season of The Mandalorian because they're pretty much the same show, according to us, and everyone already is streaming them on their phones and tablets like over-mesmerized and over-screen-hypnotized eight-year-old children, despite the fact that they are in fact adults. Devil. Yes, yes. Just thought I would check in and bring something else up for the new semester after the summer. Which, of course, why not, considering everything that we let into the school system all the time, introduce youth to all the wonders of Roman torture, which goes really well with the show Little Demon on Disney+, Plus that might as well be renamed Help Help, My Eyes Are Completely Self-Compulsively Burning Out of My Face, How Is This Show Meant for Children, Because It's Not Meant for Children, but of course, who's paying attention anyways, because it's definitely not the parents, who act like over-screen hypnotized eight-year-old children who are in fact adults. Because, when you think about it, it's a demon show for kids, which of course makes the most sense when you're watching The Mandalorian and are completely distracted since The Mandalorian has those amazing special effects like all action shows and Little Demon has special effects like most cartoons in the 21st century produced by p people at Disney Plus who also most likely are actually fallen angels from the Book of Enoch that took human wives for themselves after they fell out of heaven for going against God. But of course, showing up in the human form of someone who would most likely also be working at a blockbuster store if all of them besides one in Oregon for some reason hadn't closed because of a bad governmental economy. And this certain invention of a company called Redbox, of whom I might also be a part of. John. Yes, of course, that makes sense. I also thought we might as well go ahead and refashion all the sports teams, refashion them with new names, and would allow all the parents to never notice how unhealthy the new names would be for their children, such as replacing track and cross country with the new disclosed name of the unholy army fallen of the undead deep in the pits of hell under the authority of the Antichrist, which is a super long name, but of course always comes to mind first when people think of track and cross country. Unless of course the school is Catholic or Christian or has the decency of a human being who isn't completely evil. Devil, that also has been something I've been thinking about. I suspected we could in fact change every single chemistry class title to the entire state across and eventually all across all state lines in order to shape it more towards our values with universal accepted names like Dark Ages Witchcraft 101, The Order of the Crow 134. Let's all go downstairs where we also keep the Torture Chamber Dungeon, which is somehow actually an English class, believe it or not, or my personal fan favorite, The All-Seeing Eye Sees You Doing Chemistry, Chemistry Class of the Second Hour. It sounds like a plan, said John. That would have been exactly what I was thinking if I wasn't so busy turning into a parademon from Justice League Dark all the time and had to withdraw out of sight completely by flying into the top of a random castle that also just so happens to actually be a McDonald's in the middle of Pennsylvania, of which I am a court judge if that already wasn't made clear enough beforehand. He would have talked for longer, but had to hang up the phone because he was too busy turning into a parademon from Justice League Dark mid-sentence and flying onto the top of what he thought was a castle, but just turned out to be an abandoned Coles that closed in 2008 during the economic crash of the same year. That's when 
the devil put his phone away that was formed from a piece of ash and hellish lava and started thinking about which cartoon to completely destroy next, which might possibly be any cartoon in existence that your child also watches because they have the special effects of every cartoon from the 21st century. And of course, hopefully, now you are not being hypnotized by your phone or tablet like an overly hypnotized eight-year-old and notice the whole thing and protect your kids from unbiblical theology and other weird unrelated names that your local school could decide suddenly reminds them of track and cross country. Like, of course, the all-seeing eye seems you, sees you running the 200-meter sprint. I'm Jonathan Assart. This is the... <laughs>
things attached to them like sacrificing and things of that sort that are super dark and children should never ever be exposed to. And of course, the full beforehand story was that the school was going against what the Satanists were saying. That they, they didn't want to do it at first. And they said, hey, you're, you're not going to do this here. There's no way that this is going to happen. And beforehand, the school was being non-compliant in the demands that were stated. But now, under the decree of the judge, it is apparent that the school be forced to allow this to happen in their classroom. Now, when I say forced, 100% yeah, from a standard, and we'll get to the Constitution in a second, but it, would, it would appear that all religions would just be practiced everywhere, but it gets sort of shady when you come down to the wire and realize, hey, well, these Satan worshipers don't own the school, so why should they be able to do that, especially in a situation where there's just innocent children and young adults all over the place that you know have they don't want to have anything to do with this stuff and of course we'll get to that really shortly and we're we're looking at this claim because it's very important because obviously a lot of different faiths a lot of different relation uh, a lot of different you know religions out there have a lot of topics of discussion that can get violent can get simulatiously controversial uh, controversial and pretty you know interesting to dive deep into the ethics of everything so to answer this question more realistically that uh, of if the Satan worshippers are actually protected by the Constitution to make this more realistic and as rational as possible I'm gonna make a number of comparisons between a couple of world religions. So let's use Aztec religion, Muslim religion, Judeo-Christianity uh, all together and then we'll cross-examine them with the original uh, question at the end based on the practices of the groups. So first uh, with Aztec religion, if you haven't already listened to my other episode on Santa Muerte recently, uh, it had a lot it had a large amount of rituals in which the Aztec priests of the people mass slaughtered. And of course, this doesn't completely relate to Santa Muerte. Santa Muerte is a lot of the time claimed to be openly connected to a lot of Aztec practices all the way back in the day. Specifically, as I said on that episode, when it comes to the factor of the uh, gang members and other people, you know, doing sacrificial things at crime scenes and things like that. A lot of historians, most of them actually disagree, but some historians say that they're in fact connected together. And of course, you get those dark aspects of sacrificial tendencies in between the two groups of the Aztec priests and Santa Muerte followers, depending on whether or not they're following a, following a gang or depending on whether or not they actually literally do the sacrifices with everything, but <clears throat> from historical reference, the Aztecs ended up sacrificing about one person every 10 minutes, which is equal to about 144 people per day, which means the amount would grow to 4,320 people about per month, which is equivalent overall to over 50,000 people a year, which basically peaks at about 51,840 people per year, 
when you Google it and try to do all the math or do all the math in your head. And they did this as a result of their religious belief that they needed to, in a sense, give a personal human sacrifice back to the gods because it was the gods who created the world. And in this sense, the Aztec priests couldn't stop the sacrifices of what they were doing because if they did, they had the connective theology that these gods would then turn on them and destroy the world. Now, this had some, now there is also uh, some potential violence in Judeo-Christianity, mostly violence that is explained on the basis of other people groups. In a sense, if a people group attacks you, then you attack them back, and then there's other controversial the theology between people on the left, people on the right, people all around other religious pra uh, faiths that people practice where you ask the completely uh, well brought up and reoccurring question of is it okay to overwhelm someone's land and overtake it and of course in Christianity that happened multiple times within the realm of the Old Testament and of course this is where the overall theology of divine command theory comes from in reference to ancient Judaism and in Catholicism and Christianity branching off of that so most would only see the action of violence permissible if you or you you know said you and your family as an example were being attacked why there wasn't you know there isn't many people arguing for of course current day killing of people that's not what people at any point in time not that I've ever met <coughs> tend to argue for but those are some controversial things in Christianity but realistically, if you look at Satanism, the reality is all of it is controversial. But now let's, well not, well not even the fact of controversial, but just completely dark and just shouldn't happen in any way, shape, or form. But now moving on to Islam, there are a couple of things here. In the Quran, it does say in the sections of uh, Quran 434, stating, Men are the, uh, man, men are the initiators of women. Because Allah has made some of them excel others, and because he's, they spent out of their property, the good women are therefore obedient, guarding the unseen as Allah has guarded. And as to those on whose part you fear desertion, abolish them, admonish them, and leave them alone in sleeping places and beat them. Then if they obey you, do not seek a way against them. Surely Allah is high and great. So obviously here we have some sections, some sentence structures and statements that can be very arguably used to say that, you know, you should beat women. That's basically what it's saying here. Or you should beat your wives into submission when they stand against you because you're the man and so on and so forth. Because here we do see that a potential interpretation for the literal sense would cause a husband to beat a wife into submission which of course is not the idea of Judeo-Christian context. But of course the interpretations of this text in fact do vary depending on the Muslim uh, man that you are talking to because the Shia Muslim would have the higher likelihood to take this uh, verse metaphorically and that a wife should metaphorically think deep and hard about disagreeing with her husband and so on and so forth instead of the Christian concept in a way of submitting to her husband. And on the Shia side, the Shia Muslim side of things, they're more deeply likely to permit 
uh, acts of violence in those areas uh, if their wife doesn't submit to them. Now, of course, I'm not saying that all of them would. It's just some would because they take that uh, text literally and they don't just take it metaphorically. Now, why do I bring up these religions uh, first in any way? Well, as we see here, there are multiple ways for these religious beliefs to be taken only metaphorically or to be taken literally and metaphorically, although most people would take a lot of them just simply metaphorically in our culture today, which isn't exactly the way to go. But when it comes to the Constitution for the United States of America and the section discussing the First Amendment, we have to also be particular with the wording. In the U.S. Constitution of the United States, it says, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abiding or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the rights of the people to peacefully assemble and petition the government for a redress of grievances, quote-unquote. So in other words, the Constitution says here that people can give, can give uh, they cannot give a certain law that a certain religion must be followed only or a law that makes a religious practice completely unpracticable in the space, thereby uprooting freedom of speech by all people or replace the right for people to disagree with one another and in doing so protest a practice that they disagree with. Now I'm not claiming overall to compare Satanism and Islam together or am I exactly claiming Aztec practices to be the exact same thing or that Aztec practices are actually based on you know, the satanic necessarily, even though if I'm being honest, that would sort of be an argumentation for a PhD dissertation because of all the similar practices and it'd be easy to argue uh, something like that. But what I am saying is that just as Islam, Catholicism, Protestant Christianity, and Judaism are completely different, uh, they are also completely different from the notions of full-on Satanism. And just as the first four religions are intended to be a relationship with God, and thus archetypally more of a relationship you know, directly to God than exactly a religion looked uh, at from a certain perspective, and that's often what Christians say, it's a it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm sure there's other people that would claim that about the religion they follow. Satanism is the complete opposite of relationship with God. And it's, in a sense, worse than a religion because it's just a religion of darkness. It's just a belief system of complete darkness. And it's more dangerous than any form of said practice of any magic-related practice from past history. And it's just a full-on embrace <coughs> of occultism, evil, darkness, satanic rituals. That's all it legitimately is. And another ideology here. Let's say, let's say, let's look at two other people really quick. Let's say Ezra Miller here, who has, for a decent amount of time, he's disappeared off the map, and it appears that he ran his own dark cult and he's been accused of grooming minors and also let's look at the example of the Jared guy from Subway I was watching a documentary of that earlier today and I realized what 
he was doing with the help of other people. Now, of course, think about those two people doing what they did and starting a cult of their own based on the practices of what they ended up going to jail for, what they ended up you know, staying in jail for, especially the guy from Subway, Jared guy from Subway, because he ended up doing very, 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 very horrible things. And I don't even have to say what it is. You can look it up, Google it, or you probably already know what it is. But think of those concepts as a cult practice just at a normal building in the middle of Chicago, in the middle of, you know, Michigan, in the middle of your hometown. That's literally what Satanism is, and it's a complete overkill of that. Every single attribute that's just completely dark, horrible, evil, abusive, every single type of thing. It's not just strange sentence structures and strange magic-related statements. It's not just that. There's legitimate documentation of actual real evil and I have not looked at that I will not look at that but if you actually get the ability to talk to say a Catholic priest in the Vatican or you had the ability to go back to the Vatican archives and the library which they definitely would not allow you to do you would end up seeing things that you and reading things potentially that you could not unread or unsee and for that factor here Satanism is more than a religion. It's just simply darkness, as I said before. And thus, because of that, it can be a, there can be a big argument to simply say, due to the fact that it's more than just a religion, it's in fact just simply evil, that therefore should not be backed up uh, by the Constitution. And, of course, 100%, as I said before, it is just completely something that Neither children, young adults, or quite frankly, anyone should really come into contact with. And there's a full-on reason why pretty much only Catholic priests most of the time have any ability uh, to overcome it by the grace of God besides a very strong Christian believer. So for our next story... Here's an interesting story, an intriguing story, and just obviously something that most people should be against if they're a strong Christian or Catholic. And it pertains to the communities that enjoy hallucinogenics. An author by the name of Don Latin, or Latin, I think, probably mispronouncing his name again like I normally do on the show, but he states that it would, in fact, be a good idea to put together the actions of using psychotropic drugs and church services together. Now here, of course, I can say, uh, before we get into the article, uh, that one thing to say certainly uh, when it comes to smoking and doing any type of drug paraphernalia whatsoever, and we'll get to this later on again in a second, but it completely changes people's views of the church. And his whole open-hearted argument here is that since it changes your view of the church, it also changes your view of God and your ability to access God. And of course, I'm not an expert on drug paraphernalia because, well, obviously I'm a Christian Catholic and I have not and will not do any of that stuff. I haven't really studied it in detail, but I would say 
quite obviously, and I'll mention this later on too, that if people are tripping, quote unquote, they probably have a different trip than everyone else. Because when when you when you go on these sites like say say Comedy Central and you go on Comedy Central and you hear some funny story about some comedian that was tripping out on drugs on a couch or something like that, you always hear a different story. You never hear the exact same story every single time. So how in the world would people that do this be able to take the Bible in the correct context all the time? But okay, jumping into this story, as the Religious News Service says, quote, decades after being forced underground by the war on drugs, psychedelics are going mainstream. Researchers are discovering the possibilities of using psychobin, ketamine, MDMA, and LSD as tools in treating depression, addiction, and psychological stress. Oh, they also spark spiritual awakening too. What? I... Wait, wait, okay, okay. So you're telling me that they treat addiction despite the fact that they are addiction-causing? First of all, that doesn't make sense. Second of all, Ketamine, MDMA, and LSD, you're literally choosing the exact drugs that are not only easy to overdose on, but you're also choosing the exact drugs that people take. They act completely vibrantly wild when they take them <coughs> wherever they're at. You know, normally at, say, an EDM festival or some other type of festival somewhere, they're literally never in their right mind. And I mean, psychological stress, psychological stress is literally, it, it's on the same level as not in your right mind. And addiction is the same level as not being on your right mind. And depression is at the same level as not being in your right mind. So what exactly are you exactly trying to do here? Like, how are you solving the problem by using drugs that make people flip out and be out of their right mind in order to treat problems and issues. It then, says, it then says that clergy were not wanting to be quoted in their tripping experiences. wonder why that is. Anyway, the story goes on to discuss an interview in which uh, they take the God that, that they're talking about and they're basically praising these drugs and the list of drugs to use continues and on and on and on his new book and on and on and on. So a couple things here. As I said before, you can't treat depression with depression. You can't treat being in, you know, no way, shape, or form your right mind by being not in your right mind. So I don't know how this is supposed to help you here, but there are some people out there who would suspect that some writers of the Gospels in the late New Testament were doing you know, certain psychologically activating drugs when writing the Bible. And of course, this is what he's trying to use here. Trying to put that, you know, side by side with our day and time nowadays so that we can, you know, put drugs and church together and we'll have a closer connection to God. But first, if they were using these drugs during the writing of the New Testament and the rewriting 
portions of the rewritings of the rewritings of the New Testaments over the next couple thousand years, as it would have happened, why would it not mention that they were using a said substance to compose what they were writing? Why not just use some form of textual representation, you know, due to the fact that we have some form of writing, you know, in other famous empires that did in fact disclose their related drug habits as they were composing their documents and government documents such as Greece being one of them within their governmental texts. Also, if someone was tripping continuously throughout the writing and recomposition, then why doesn't the stories change? Like, why don't the stories change? Why don't the prophecies change concerning the future, you know, drastically each time? Why would that you know, not be happening here? Say, say John writes, you know, in Revelation first, say John does the drug paraphernalia, and he says, and he writes, I saw a red dragon coming up, and you know, the whole thing about trying to kill the child and the woman and all of that stuff from Revelation. So he writes that the first time. Then it's rewritten a second time, and a person does these drugs. And wouldn't it be more likely that those would be completely different? Just, you know, from the Comedy Central example earlier, they would be completely different. You know, the other person would probably include a little bit of those aspects in there, but then he probably would write something like, then I saw a ten-headed serpent that also looked like an emperor with nine extra heads floating in the air, you know, saying, I'll destroy the world with a spear or something like that, within the cultural context of everything. Just, you know, just a completely different take because paraphernalia was used in the process. Also, it doesn't make much sense that the Romans would have granted John any access knowingly to a region that, you know, is said to have enjoyable psychotropic drugs within the area, since normal people within the communities of Rome would not be given access to that. But really, that was only given to the access of powers that the powerful and high-ranking officials, leaders, and rich individuals in the government, community, and the royal family. So Pretty much poor people didn't just get to run around giant palaces and enjoy psychotropic medication. That, that's not a thing that was going on. Another main issue with this is in fact that in our history today the only groups that in fact use these drugs, whether legally or not, actually end up becoming a side cult to Christianity and are not actually following Christian standards or practices due to the fact that they're using the drugs. And the drugs, of course, as stated before, end up redirecting their thinking, normally away from the normal concepts of Christianity and Catholic doctrine. Also, yes, I, I just honestly still can't get over the ketamine thing here because ketamine and the Bible definitely do not mix. And 100% people need to realize that just as drugs are dangerous, drugs do not spur good religious Christian Catholic theology. They do in fact only tend to spur theology that has either never been before seen ever or just completely unbiblical. Okay, so the next two stories are somewhat related to each other. 
although they are happening in, of course, different areas of the world here. At a Hindu temple, worshippers of Ganesh, which is the god of the Hindu religion that takes the form of a pinkish red elephant, is normally the Hindu god that, of course, most newcomers of Hinduism and those new to the faith, of course, come into contact with because it's one of the more well-known gods of the Hindu religion. Uh, there was a robotic attachment that had been attached uh, to the placement of uh, the uh, god deity assembly and it basically applied a new robotic controlled ability of the deity on I believe it was its right arm maybe it was its left arm of the deity to move a oil candle in a ritual called Erat which maybe I'm mispronouncing that too in the city of Pune in central India so the ritual of Erat is meant to have a particular offer offer candles the deity in order to completely embrace the gods true form and of themselves and thus they also pray to the deity within this ritual in order to receive blessing and personal possession uh, of personal possessions and other forms of blessings it's used for good health it's used to be completely overwhelmed by the deity so that they embrace the deity and the deity can you know show them things and show them what they need to work on as well as showing them potentially the future, what they're doing wrong, what they have to, you know, in a sense, restructure themselves and their servitude to the deity. And of course, people in India are mostly on the fence about this idea. And surely everyone should be on the fence concerning this. And they really should reach the same conclusion that this should, in fact, not be taking place at all. Because in so doing and allowing the robotics to do rituals with robotics and thereby replace worshippers, as religious people suspect they eventually will, robotics end up removing the holiness of faith and replacing it with a battery or other battery-powered electrical source of a non-holy aspect that makes the religious aspect less desirable and less meaningful. Realistically, it makes far more sense for this to be the case anyways. Because, I mean, how do we suspect religious people to deal with this. I mean, obviously, this is, from a biblical perspective, kind of shows how AI could, in fact, be steering us more towards the Revelation times, and that's from a Christian Catholic perspective here. But also, just realistically, it is kind of creepy. And from, you know, my, my early ages, from my early days, in the early olden days, when I was in middle school and I was going to, you know, Chuck E. Cheese and all these places, I was just highly creeped out. Like, I would literally have nightmares of these, you know, freakish duck robots and these creepy-ass cow robots and these just, just flat-out creepy robots that, you know, would dance and sing to you and all. And, and that's just not something that you really want in a holy place of worship. Whether as a kid or as an adult with your children, you know, when you were, you know, as I said before, back in that time looking at these creepy robots, like, that's not something that belongs in a church structure, a Hindu temple, any sort of religious aspect. I mean, maybe it might belong in a Satanist temple that might be like the only place it in fact belongs, why it's, you know, singing a pre-recorded song with a 
electric guitar or something like that you know because I've never really you know looked at a robot playing an electric guitar and singing a song and think gee this reminds me of how I never miss mass in my whole entire life or you look at that and think you know when I think about it this makes me think of how much of a committed Hindu worshiper I am like that there's literally no there, there's literally no instance where anyone would think that they would basically just sit there and think uh, yeah so a wise why in the hell is a robot doing what's most holy to me that's 100% the only thing that would happen so moving on moving on here this is also an AI thing a Catholic Church in Asia has been in hot water this past week after they use AI free writing software to compose their Catholic synodial document and for those who are not particularly Catholic or have no idea what a synod means it is a main document that is basically supposed to be written by the Catholic Board of Members of the Catholic Church or Parish in order to set the theological standard of potential dismissal church doctrine comprehension of the Catholic book of church discipline and really any type of dependent action that would allow someone discipline should they be doing something wrong or just completely unbiblical and in reality, this document is really the potential difference between the Catholic Church standing true to theological history and roots and the Catholic Church becoming a cult that goes a different direction from the theology of an actual Catholic Church. Now, what the Catholic Church mem uh, members essentially did uh, by the means of the New York Post was that they talked concerning the synodial document amongst each other and gathered uh, in a discussion uh, point in a room and then they took apparently all of their discussions down on Google Forms and put those Google Forms into AI software which sounds very 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 real it sounds so backwards why would you talk to each other similar to people in you know the jury room of a courtroom or something and put all of those things you just said and just decided upon into an AI system just to see what the AI system thinks. It makes absolutely no sense and it's completely backwards. Now being Christian and being in the middle, uh, right in the middle theologically between Catholic and Protestant, uh, this is simply really just one of the dumbest things I've ever seen as I've said before. You're essentially by doing this you know, talking amongst yourselves like a council from the past history in Catholicism, and then you're ignoring the whole entire conclusion that you come to, and you're trying to get a random conclusion from, or hopefully a similar conclusion from an AI computer. We have everyone in the room already. Like, ju like just imagine for a second what what happened I, and I bring this up in a very you know discerning way because I recently did in fact uh, I did in fact read an article about someone who was writing for, for a company I can't remember what it was I think it was a Christian news source but he was writing for them and he puts 
a conversation into AI and he's trying to essentially be a witness to the AI robot. He's essentially saying, hey, I'm Christian. I believe this. I believe that. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yada, yada, yada. He's literally saying all this stuff to the AI and the AI ends up on purpose discussing that the that the AI itself, it was it was the robot saying this. The AI said, "Oh, I respect your beliefs. I am not particularly religious." The AI said that by itself. And then these guys at the Catholic Church put their disclosures and their ideas into an AI software. It's just that's that's exactly how you don't spread the gospel. In our faith, we cannot be particularly controlled by that. Of course, we as Christians, Catholics, probably know that eventually AI will overtake everything. But it's completely essential that we don't allow AI to abuse our means of evangelism and also abuse our means of documentation in churches and church buildings so that we can actually do evangelism the way it was intended face-to-face -face with communication and face-to-face -face with documentation. And now let's get to our final story. Alright, let's get to our final story here. It apparently says, it says, uh, are people praying more in cars than in churches? So a new study documented this past week that the majority of people tend to pray in their cars now versus actual churches. And in this study, it said around 61% uh, of people say they pray in their car versus a place of worship. As a new study taking account of some 700, uh, 1,700 people, according to the Gradient Foundation this past Thursday. Of course, it wasn't just limited to praying in their cars, but of course it was, you know, a limitation to praying in general. That was just an interesting point in the study brought up. Uh, the study stated that some 51% of people pray in the morning, while 50% say they pray just before bedtime, which of course makes sense religiously. And the top reasons for praying were for a loved one in crisis or when someone was sick at rates of the 70 percentile. Now this of course also makes sense and is just you know, a completely strong argument against atheism since crisis almost always causes us to want to connect with a higher power and of course thus removes self-insufficient nihilistic tendencies. Now, how could the story be taken negatively? Well, the reality is that while mostly half or so people, sometimes a higher amount than that, sometimes a lower amount of that, reported praying in their cars, that means most likely potentially a little bit less than half most likely don't do that which is quite a large amount of people and if that were to be taken from a global perspective which of course can be an argument you know that someone could eventually try to do and prove and show it would most likely state that probably at least 30 40 maybe even 50 percent of people as the non-religiosity uh, statistics have increased the past uh, half decade and full decade, that means that there 
is of course the realistic unfortunate situation that probably over 50% of people globally might in fact be non-religious and there's a higher tendency of people to not only be de depressed as a result of that their non-religiosity but of course there's a higher scenario of them to do dangerous and potentially negative harmful things to themselves because of poor mental health it's technically nihilism ends up becoming a religion of depression as I've said before and of course I am referring to of course you know suicidal actions drug abuse issues other abuses and other abuse related problems specifically associated with their mental health concerns and of course this should make all religious people be more completely committed to overall spreading their faith overall being open and personal with people overall wanting people to see the truth that there is a God out there and of course overall not you know participate in Satanism and participate in dark evils of the occult and participate in every type of you know humanly desire that's opposite God so overall we must openly uh, openly care about our fellow friends neighbors and family members no matter what their religious affiliation is and we must also lead them to the knowledge and understanding of God especially in their times of grief and despair and that is our show thanks for watching thanks for listening I will talk to you on Sunday